Welcome to the Natter Podcast. My name's Lewis Daniels. And I'm Steve Harrison. And this is our new sports-based podcast, mainly football-themed, in association with the England Transplant Football Association. This is just a Meet the Hosts episode so that you get to know a bit more about us, what we're like, what sports we may or may not know about, and maybe we'll learn a few things about each other with some stories towards the end. Over the next weeks and months, Steve, what can people expect to hear? Well, what you can expect from the Natter podcast is it's a sports podcast, as you've said, mainly football, uh, but we'll also be covering current sporting topics. We'll have some debates that we'll open out to all our listeners, things like the greatest sporting 11s, etc. There'll be quizzes, challenges, polls, and hopefully lots of interviews with sporting guests and much, much more. In other words, the bits we've not decided yet. (laughs) (laughs) definitely some guests coming up episode two which we will tease towards the end uh we're hoping that we're a slightly different sports podcast there are a lot of sports podcasts out there uh, besides featuring the big team news we're going to be promoting local and national pan disability clubs like the england transplant football club and other teams under the association and as our podcast bio says we'll be showcasing the beautiful game as it should be fully inclusive and no matter what your ability accessible for all and we've spoken there, we've mentioned the England Transplant Football Association and the England Transplant Football Club. We are both kidney transplant recipients. Do you want to tell the lovely people a bit more about yours? Okay, so I received my kidney transplant in 2016. Uh, my transplant was from a cadaverous donor. So I was, uh, sadly somebody passed away, so I got mine and I will be eternally grateful to that person. Um, I was diagnosed with kidney failure when I was 18, sort of meandered through life quite happily till I got to my 40s and then my kidney function dropped to the point of needing a transplant. Uh, I was very, very lucky that I didn't have dialysis, which meant the transplant I got was viable for myself because it wasn't the best transplant, but it was a good one for me because I'd not had dialysis. And things are going great. Kidney function's nice and about 50%. I'm happy with that. It's stayed that way since about three months in. So happy days. It's always good to hear stories like that. I know you've been on my podcast, Transplants Take On Sport, which is transplant-themed sport podcast. I've been on your radio show as well. And like you, I managed to avoid dialysis. I was diagnosed with a condition called IgA nephropathy, which might not mean a lot to a lot of people, in I was about May of 2018. And then just slowly, I say slowly, quite quickly declined over the next year to kidney failure. And my transplant was in... Uh, July 2019 from my mother. Uh, I had a live donor, which I will again be eternally grateful for. Always thanking my mum for doing that and keep it, keeping me going, really. I mentioned IgA nephropathy. Uh, it's a, a condition where you have an, an overactive immune system in response to a, a respiratory infection. And those the antibodies that are produced block up your kidneys, cause inflammation and make them fail over time. So but we're here now. We are doing this. We are both transplant athletes, you could say. You could say athlete. I never turn myself as an athlete, but I turn up and have a go. <laughs> <laughs> We've known each other now for a couple of years. Well, yeah, it was before the pandemic. Was it about 2019? I think it was, yeah. 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 Uh, so we we had our transplant at the same hospital. I'm not sure we can say which hospital. No, we didn't. Uh, uh, did we? No. Oh, not the same hospital. We were under the same hospital. We were under the same hospital. I moved. <laughs> you moved now, by the way. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, I found out about the transplant games from my grandma when I was actually having my transplant. And I joined the transplant cricket team, the England transplant cricket team, which you were also a part of. I it was am. actually you who got me into a lot of transplant sport, really. You told me about um, the the hospital transplant games team. And from there... That's where more started. Yeah. So it's all my fault, Lewis. I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> it's great fun. It's fantastic. The transplant sports stuff, the uh, British games and everything else is superb. It's such a great community to be a part of. It's very much a family feel and a lot of sports are played. What sports do you currently play and have you played in the past? Uh, currently, I am playing football and volleyball. Uh, the cricket season is about to start, so I'll try and fit some of that in, although... I think this year there may be less of that, unfortunately, due to other commitments. Uh, but yeah, it's mainly football. Football's always been my sport. Cricket in the summer used to be a bit of a runner when I was younger, but now I really am not. Anyone that's seen me on a football pitch knows I do not run, or cannot run very fast. Um, so yeah, it's mainly football, which I've been playing since school. I took up volleyball 
at the British Transplant Games, actually. It was the first time I played it properly since school, and we only did it in PE. It wasn't like we had a school team or anything. And found I was okay at it and uh, went from there. So I'm currently playing for Nutsford Volleyball Club in the Merseyside Volleyball League. And I play for Liverpool Transplant Football Club, plus uh, a couple of others I play recreationally as well. What's your position in football now? You said you're not, not much of a runner anymore. Sub. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm the... Uh, well, because it tends to be on the small side of the game. I play in defence, but I tend to be sort of a sweeper almost. I tend to be the last man before the goalkeeper. And I just try and move from side to side to cover the gaps rather than do all the running and chase people. But uh, I ate quite a lot this morning because last night I played... We played nine aside on a Friday night. It's a social uh, gathering. And the guy I'm following is one of these that runs. Hate him. <laughs> uh, so it's good, actually, because it's good practice. It's good fitness, you know, because you are running for... It's supposed to be an hour, but because we're the last team on, they don't come and kick us off till about 20 past nine. So we get an hour and 20 minutes. So I'm playing almost a full game without... A, I'm playing an hour and 20 minutes without a break because we don't have a break. We just keep going. So, uh, yeah, it's good training a Friday night match. But I tend to sort of stick at the back. Although last night, and this has to be brought up, I won't mention it. Well, I won't be able to mention it very often because it doesn't happen very often. I actually scored a diving header. That is impressive. Not only did I score, which now that thud you heard was Steve Woodrow falling off his stool because I'm the only person at Liverpool transplant that's never scored a goal that's from the original team. Uh, Not only did I score a goal, not only did I score a header, it was a diving header. Although, as one of my teammates pointed out, I didn't really leap like a salmon. I sort of fell like a shot deer. But all I say is, I scored a diving header. It counts. I don't care what you say. I've got visions of Robin Van Persie from the 2014 World Cup. In my head, that's what it was. I don't think it looked like that. Luckily, there's no video evidence, so we will never know. So in my head, it was Robin Van Persie, edge of the area in the World Cup. In reality, it was about the edge of the six-yard line, if not closer. And I sort of fell onto it almost. <laughs> I also played football growing up. We, we would have come up against each other if we were in the same same league. I was an attacking midfielder. Uh, I oh, had I you lumps out of you, Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> shins have taken a battering. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't play football at the moment. Um, my main sport is cricket. And I've decided after playing in a competition, a transplant competition last weekend, that I'm going to take up table tennis. Uh, so cricket and table tennis are going to be my sports. Going forward, what sports do you watch or follow aside from playing? So uh, football, again, is my main sport. For my sins, I am a long, a now long-suffering Manchester United season ticket holder. That makes uh, I've seen the bad times, I've seen the great times, and now, oh dear. But I'll still be there. Um, so I'm Manchester United season ticket holder, I watch them. I try and watch a bit of local non-league football. I'm in the Northwich area. I work with radio. I volunteer on Radio Northwich. Um, so we try and go to matches involving the Northwich clubs. So we've got Northwich Victoria, Whitten Albion, 1874 Northwich are the three main ones. So I try and get round them and see them when I can. And standard of non-league football, if you don't watch non-league football, please go and watch it. It's cheap and the standard is fantastic and it's a good day out. And if you like a drink, you can have a drink whilst watching the match, unlike in the Premier League where you have to go under the stand. Not that I tend to drink much of football because I end up missing most of the match. I never do that. Uh, so, yeah, um, I also watch Rugby League. Um, for my sins, I'm a Huddersfield Giants fan who are eternally awful. They start the season, although they're doing well again. But they do this every year. They start well, they get your hopes up, and then they just plummet. They usually get a lot of injuries, sadly. But this year, they're looking quite good. They had a good win last night. So, yeah, Huddersfield Giants. Um don't tend to watch much cricket, but would love to watch a lot more. I just tend to watch it a bit on the television. I don't tend to get to Malankasha Boy, so I don't get to see Old Trafford that much. But uh, what's quite good, actually, once the cricket season starts, they used to do this before COVID. I don't know if they still will. The ground at Old Trafford, the cricket ground, actually opens the bars up before the football. And when there's actually a match on, you can actually go, or you could before COVID, go and sit in the stand and watch a bit of the cricket as well. Oh. So if you got there early enough, you're going to have a pint, sit and watch the cricket for half an hour, 40 minutes, and then go and watch United. It's a good deal. And to be fair, some weeks it was worth staying watching the cricket than going watching United. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's sort of the limit of my watching Lancashire at the moment is sort of live, is sort of 15, 20 minutes here and there before a football match. But uh, I'd like to do a bit more of that, but we'll see. But uh, yeah, I, I have an interest in most sports without 
necessarily having the knowledge of most sports. So I, quite, I don't mind the motor racing. I quite I enjoy the Six Nations and the Rugby Union, but I'm not really a Rugby Union fan. I'm a Rugby League boy. But my main sports are football, Rugby League, and I would say cricket would be my third choice for watching. How about yourself, Lewis? We share football and cricket as main sports to watch. Uh, I am also a Manchester United fan, like yourself. Uh, tough times at the moment. Uh, cricket, I, I'm, a, I'm a Yorkshire boy. Um, Never mind. <laughs> um, <Not just> perfect. <laughs> so watching cricket and, and football, that's the main one. And recently, mainly through Drive to Survive on Netflix, I've started getting into Formula One. I've not watched any of those. Are they good? It's got me hooked straight away right. on well, actually watching the racing. So that's our top tip for today. <laughs> <laughs> our recommendation for today, Netflix, Drive to Survive. Go. You end up learning that there's more to motor racing and F1 than cars going around a track and it's, there's more about the drivers and the teams behind them and under tactics and the, the battles and rivalries between the different drivers uh, so yeah. yeah it's very interesting but yeah football like like yourself is the one I've watched for the longest and probably the one I watch the most now so as this is a, mainly a football podcast I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about and a lot of opinions and debates on various games that are happening absolutely absolutely looking forward to that now, so that we get to know each other a bit more, maybe hear some stories that we haven't told each other before, and you can get to know us and hopefully learn some, learn or listen to some entertaining stories, we decided that, as a bit of fun for this first episode, we would write five questions each. We've come up with ten in case we uh, we think of the same one, because we haven't told each other what those questions are, but they are generally sporting memory style questions of things we may have, have seen or done Growing up, watching football, I think all mine are football questions. I don't, I don't know about you. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, technically not. There's a couple that I expected the answer not to be football. Right. Okay, I'm looking forward to this. This will be interesting. As we, as I said, we haven't told each other what the questions are. Uh, we will both also answer our own questions, so you can hear what we, we have to say. We're not going to get out of it that easily with some of these questions. And hopefully by not knowing the questions, you will get a straight up raw answer. So Steve, would you like to go first? Okay, we'll go with a nice simple one, Lewis. What was the first match you attended in any sport you wish? That would have been uh, 2004. So I would have been five going on six. It was... Uh... <laughs> Uh, it was a, a World Cup qualifier at Old Trafford between England and Wales, which oh, nice. England won. It's not not bad for a first game as That's a five-year-old. Yeah. So, uh, great day. I, I maybe should have looked this up if this question was going to come up. I think David Beckham may have scored. Uh, it was an England win, I know that, and it was a very good yeah. day out leading into... Uh, it was just after the Euros in 04. Hmm. How about yourself? Very good. The interesting side note on there. The interesting when you say about watching England at Old Trafford, I went to the as part of my stag do in the nineties, two thousand four. Dear me. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I'm too old for this. Right. Um, I went to the first England match outside of Wembley when they knocked the old Wembley down, and it was a friendly at Old Trafford. It was England against South Africa. Can't remember the score because it's before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that was that was and that was interesting being there for that. We, we had a good laugh doing that. They're always good games, England games. It's a good atmosphere. Yeah, it's, I can't except for in the tournaments. I can't get behind England. I just find it quite boring. But I mean, the way United are playing at the moment, it's actually more interesting watching England than United. So I'm getting back into it now. I quite like. I'll watch any football, but I tend to find things like World Cups and stuff. I enjoy more if England aren't playing. Right, that's interesting because. I get annoyed at England like I get annoyed at United. You know, I get, well, frustrated more than annoyed. Because you see the play and you think how good they are and then you see them together and they're all sort of like, sometimes they don't look interested and stuff and you're like, oh, come on, you know. <laughs> and then you get other games, like was it in Russia where they beat, was it Colombia they beat 8-0 or something? Who they beat? Eight? Ecuador. Tunisia it might have been. Tunisia? Was it Tunisia? No, yeah, it was that was Panama. Like Panama, that was it. Panama, that was it. At least I got the right continent. <laughs> I'm just working way around Central and Southern America. <laughs> um, when we won that game, that was amazing because it was a beautiful sunny day. We had all we had family around, and um, some were outside playing in the sun, and we were inside watching the football. And we got they've scored another. <laughs> you just couldn't believe it by the end. It was uh, that was great, but um, yeah, uh, first match was actually in 1981. 
was actually Huddersfield Town against Wrexham. And we got free tickets through school. What division would that have been? What is now League Two, I think. Right. Or League, League, no, League Two. Yeah, it was the old Division Four. And it was when they were working their way back up. Because they'd gone, they shrunk, they, they were in the first division for years. And then I think the late 60s, early 70s, they started dropping. I think they dropped pretty much four seasons in a row and stayed in the bottom division for a few seasons. And then, and we got some free, and then started to get back up. But um, we got some free tickets, complimentary tickets through school. And my dad took me. Uh, I can remember, I think, I can't remember the score, but I know Huddersfield won. And I think that was the game that virtually confirmed they were guaranteed to go up. So the atmosphere was fantastic and everything. My first United game was in 1982 against Stoke. Stoke? Stoke. Last home game of the season, 82. And a certain Norman White side scored his first goal at Old Trafford. Oh, wow. And became my favourite player forever. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Steve Coppel. Stevie Couple on the wing. Fantastic. Look it up. Um, <laughs> that's your dad, you know. <laughs> My memory of Steve Coppel is more when he was the manager of Reading, which probably says, yeah. says a bit. Yeah, he was. I remember as a child because you know, as a United fan, you sort of there's this thing about Liverpool and stuff, isn't there? You know, the rivalry and whatever. And I was actually quite disappointed when I found out Steve Coppel was a scouser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now married to a scouser, so you know, I have no ill feelings towards anybody from the Liverpool region. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember being quite. Not upset, but disappointed when I found out one of my favourite players was a scouser. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. This is the first, first time we've recorded together and uh, you, you could say there was something telepathic going on there because you just answered what my first question was, so I will change that and bring in one of the backups. This, your sporting hero you've answered. Uh, I've answered so, that as well. So I'll go for uh, what is the most memorable game you've ever been to or watched on TV? Uh, watched on TV has got to be the European Cup final in 99. United against Bayern Munich. Um, obviously the injury time winners. I was actually in Greece rather than there. This is a good story. Which which was annoying. <laughs> My now ex-wife you know, booked a holiday that covered... The last game of the season, the FA Cup final and the Champions League final. So I watched the entire treble in Greece. Now, there's worse places to watch it. However, as a season ticket holder who'd been to many, many home and away games that season, I was eligible for tickets for the FA Cup final and the Champions League final. And I didn't go. Work out why she's my ex from that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we were in a sports bar in Greece and we, we found this sports bar, watched the last game of the season. Um, when they won the league, watched the FA Cup final, great. And then, of course, the Champions League final comes around. Um, we're in this bar, it's full of Manchester United fans, and there's four Bayern Munich fans. And the banter's very good, nothing, you know, just good old nature banter. They're singing, we're singing, having a laugh. Bayern Munich, of course, go 1 0 up. Um, so they're celebrating, we're not. Again, still very good natured, you know. And then um, I think it was Rivaldo. Rivaldo at Bayern? Somebody hit the crossbar. I'm sure it was Rivaldo had like an overhead kick that hit the crossbar. Or whoever player it was. I've seen the highlights. So, yeah. Uh, and at that point, I turned to my now ex-wife and said, we're going to win this. And she looked at me as if to go, you've had too much to drink and bless you. <laughs> bless you for your optimism. But I knew at that point, 1-0 down, I knew at that point when they hit the crossbar that our luck was in and we were going to win that. And, of course, we did. And when the second goal went in, these four Bayern Munich fans, I've never seen anybody drink a beer so quick and get out of a bar. <laughs> Again, all very good natured, but they left. They were absolutely on the floor, bless them. But the weird thing about that is that date, the 26th of May, is actually the date I got my transplant. A special day. A fair few day. years later. So that's my most memorable match that I've watched on TV. I think, actually, at a match... Not probably the best match, but the best atmosphere is when United won the league in 92-93 when we played Blackburn on the Monday night and we'd been confirmed champions and got the trophy. And I think that was, that's was that got to be the, the my favourite memory because that's the first time I obviously saw the club win the league. Yeah. So that's got to be the memory for me. You know, I mean, I'd not been alive for the 26 years since he'd last won it, but it was, uh, what, 19 years? 
So, <laughs> you know, I've spent 19 years having to put up with the fact we'd not won it and the expectation around it more than anything. So, uh, so that for me is, what about yourself? Well, that you mentioned the 99 Champions League final and you mentioned your sporting hero. My first sporting hero was heavily involved in the two goals in that David Beckham. The reason why I like taking free kicks and corners and crossing the ball growing up. I was told I was in the room when the TV was on for that game, but I was only six months old, so I can't count that as watching it because I have no memory at all of that. Uh, the most memorable game I've ever watched on TV is a, is a Champions League final again. It's 2008, the Moscow Champions League final. Uh, that penalty shootout was quite tense, even as a, what I have been then. I'd have been nine or ten. Yeah, Still quite an intense thing to watch. Very. Was, uh, it was quite long. Uh, yeah. But again, that's the that's probably the best United team I've seen in my lifetime. I think, yeah. yeah. That 08 team, or 07 to 09. I think for me, the best United team I've seen was the double winning team of 90... 94, 95. No, 90... A lot of people said that. Yeah, the same, The team, basically the team that won the league and we added Roy Keane to it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, that team, that season was unbelievable to watch. You know, and you could pretty much predict the starting eleven every week, and you knew. And I think it was, was it Giggs? They interviewed one of the players, and he said he used to stand in the tunnel and he used to look at the opposition, and you could tell they'd already beaten them because you could see the opposition looking around at the United team and going, "Oh dear." Another great game I went to actually was uh, United lost, or well, they might have won on the night, but they went out. Was the Real Madrid game when Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, scored the hat trick? Yeah. And, you know, he was unplayable. Like that. But that's the only time I've ever looked at a team sheet. During the era, the Ferguson era, uh, the successful times under Ferguson, I've looked at, seen a team announced and gone, oh. Because that Galacticos team, the yeah. players. I mean, my favourite non-United player is Zidane. And he was just the things he could do with the football. And <laughs> there's a documentary film of his that if you're not really into football, it's going to be very boring because it basically follows him for 90 minutes on the pitch with a few interviews cut yeah. into it in French and Spanish, but there are subtitles. And it's just called Zidane. But if you like football, especially yourself as an attacking midfielder, just watch him for 90 minutes because he war- he saunters around the pitch. The ball comes to him, one touch, it's gone. And he knows where it's going before it's even got to him. And a bit like watching Paul Scholes, he was the same. He knew where the ball was going before he'd even received it. You know, he knew where it was go- he was passing it off to. But uh, yeah, that team... That Brazil, that that Real Madrid team that came to Old Trafford, and I think I can't remember whether we won on the night and went out, or we we went out anyway. I can't. I think it was. I don't know. Anyway, can't remember the score, but I just remember and Ronaldo that night. He was sort of probably at his peak at Real Madrid. It was just before he started to go downhill, unfortunately, with injuries and what have you. But his his hat trick was just. Perfect for a striker. It was just watching the yeah. perfect striker in motion. It was just scary. <laughs> <laughs> there, that going back to that 08 Champions League final, the, the, that team, I mean, that Man United team was, I guess I said, the best I've ever seen. Ronaldo was at his peak at United. We could say he went higher at Real Madrid. Yeah. Uh, but the most memorable game I've been to, and I can hear people, if this, if this, was, if this gets a, a large listening audience going, you can't pick that as a game. It was actually a community shield. At Wembley, it was a Manchester derby. City had just started to sort of become. I think that I think it was the year they. I can't remember who won the league that year. Um, they were just starting to get there. Um, went to extra time, and I can remember Nanny chipping the chipping the City goalkeeper. Who must have been Joe Hart. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of extra time, and that being it was like the, the first kick, the fir- the first blow at the start of the season to say like, um, yeah. we're, st- we're still here, still it's gonna be tight. <laughs> Get back down, noisy neighbour. <laughs> now completely overtaken us. But anyway. Still got a bit of confetti from that day. There you go. Well, there was a question. Unusual uh, things you've picked up in a match. <laughs> Unusual memorabilia. Not that I can think of any for myself, but... What is your second question? Um, dum, 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 dum. What sports are you naturally good at? Oh, I think my hand-eye coordination is good. Hmm. So that's that's something like playing table tennis last weekend for the first time in five, six years. People had mentioned my forehand and the timing of my forehand being good because of cricket, which I I wasn't 
that great at the start with. I had to work to become good at that. So I would say uh, hand-eye coordination, sports that involve hand-eye coordination. Yeah. What about yourself? The, the game I was naturally best at is a game I've only played a handful of times, and that was hockey. Oh. And I think, again, it's that combination of, it. to me, it was very much a combination of football and cricket. Yeah. You know, you've got the hand-eye coordination with, obviously, the stick and the ball, but then the positional sense and everything's very much football-related. You've got to be quite yeah. disciplined and stuff. And the school I went to, you could only play it in the sixth form. So when I got the sixth form, they said, oh, would you fancy a game of hockey? We've got a match coming up. We're short. I'm like, yeah, fine. And um, I, got a cl- I said, as long as somebody tells me what I've got to do, because I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I've never even played the game before. And I was just naturally picked it up. Yeah. I only played it whilst I was in the sixth form. I never took it up with a club or anything because I played football and I played cricket and I played this and I played that. Uh, but naturally, I think the sport I was naturally very good at when I was younger was hockey, bizarrely. It's something I only played once at sixth form and wasn't that great at it. But again, football, I picked it up quickly as a kid, quite young. Mm. I, was, I think I was five when I started playing in sort of local under eights. And naturally, I had a powerful shot and a good pass and technically good, but struggled when it became more physical as you got older. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people will do. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right there. I think that's a, a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle just to walk. Never mind anything else these days. My body hates me. All this sport I keep doing. Enjoy it though. Keep yeah. going. Keep doing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So stop enjoying it. I, I sort of, en- I enjoy it at the time and hate it the day after. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one for you. Out of all the stadiums you visited, excluding Old Trafford and Wembley as your home team stadiums. What is the favorite, your favourite stadium that you've been to? And I'll say that stadium tours count. Um, this might be one to do some prep on. Hmm, yeah, could have done that earlier. Um, I can go first if you want to think. Go on, let me have a think. So it's not one of the, the massive ones that you go for. I've, I've been to the New Camp, that was a stadium tour. And I've been to the San Siro. But I'm still going to go with the Mestalla in Valencia. Purely because of the the day that we had there, which is just it was a memorable day, and the history behind the stadium. When you go inside, all the floors are mosaic tiles. Mm. It's a it's an old an old stadium with a lot of don't like to say don't like to say this word, but character and there's a lot there's a lot about it. And the, it flooded years ago. I can't remember when. Uh, and you could see in the tunnel, there's a line on the wall where the water got to. And you could see right. just how damaged that stadium was because there was yeah. a river. I think a river flowed either alongside it or underneath it. And that's now been removed. And it's just a, it's a walkway along through the city of Valencia. Yeah, right. So it's just, everything about that, just it's a memorable day. And I've, mm. I suppose I've taken them on as my Spanish team. So I'm going for the Mestalla. Yeah. Um. After, I was just thinking, there's several, really, of the old stadiums that I liked. I mean, I used to go and watch Huddersfield, because I lived in Huddersfield, and the chances to go and watch United as a kid were limited. And I used to love the old Leeds Road ground. It was a proper old-fashioned ground. I mean, it'd be like, these days, it'd be considered a dump, but it just had such an atmosphere. Mm. Um, and I like the John Smith Stadium, the where they are now, but I've only... I've, very rarely get to that for rugby or football, but uh, that's a nice. When it was built, that was a very futuristic, modern-looking stadium. Yeah. That was, I think it won architectural awards. The John Smith Stadium at the time, and then Bolton caught same architect designed Bolton, which is the same but with the corners filled in. Um, but I think none sort of home grounds. The old Highbury, mm-hmm. Highbury was. I got to have a look around there. I never went to a match there, but I did get to have a look around there. I was working in the area and I just sort of was having a look around the outside and somebody said, do you want a tour? I was like, yeah, go on then. So I had a look around, saw the changing rooms. It wasn't an official tour, it was just some old boy just gave me it. Yeah. I don't know whether it was a groundsman or what. It was just, I got to have a look around. So obviously I went in the marble hall and, you know, I mean, and that, the, the you know, I know that's still there as part of the, because it's now um, flats, now, flats isn't, it? isn't it? And the marble hall is still there. So you can still see that, but to see that and to go in the uh, changing rooms, which were the proper old-fashioned, you know, they were awful really, but they were just so nostalgic. You know, the smell of deep heat and all that type of thing. Um, I think abroad, the new camp I was impressed with and disappointed with at the same time. It's an amazing stadium because of what it is. And I went to a match there. It didn't help that United lost 4-0. <laughs> 
Barcelona. When they had the three foreigner rule in the mid nineties. Yeah. Uh, I've heard stories about that. Ninety four, I think we were there. And I went to that match and the view, because the UEFA fans are right at the top in the gods. And the view out across Barcelona, the area, was just something else. Um, it was like watching Sabutio football. They were miles away. Um, you could see every goal about three moves before it happened that United were going to concede another. You could see, it was great from a tactical point of view and a coaching point of view because you could see the runs. Like now they have all these cameras and everything. Just go and sit at the top of the new camp and watch a match. You'll learn so much just watching. Uh, but also it is, you know, it's an amazing feat, but it's also very, very basic. It's not, you know... It's basically breeze block and a few seats, but I, so I was very, very impressed. I think I have to say the new camp really. Um, where else have we been? I think it would have been mine if I'd had more time there, but we're on an old yeah. And I actually went to a match there, so I've experienced a match there. Yeah, and it was when they just dug down to add extra seats, so they like lowered the ground because mm. they couldn't go any higher, so they dug down instead, which I thought was a brilliant bit of lateral thinking there. It's <laughs> like yeah. outside the box on this one. Why don't we go down instead of up? Okay. Uh, so I was in that crowd. I think at the time it was the largest Champions League crowd ever, about 115,000. So they just broke the women's record now as well. Yeah, 98, was it? They got the other yeah. one? Mate, that was just amazing. That was that's great to see. Um, I'm trying to think where else I've been. You'll have been to more than me with your season ticket and being eligible to go to these other games. Yeah, I did a few Euros, but I haven't done... The vast amount. Portugal was always nice. Porto's, the old Benfica, because they both moved, haven't they? I think to new stadium or rebuilt them. I think mm. Benfica, the stadium of light, the original stadium of light, <clears throat> the original Benfica stadium of light. I don't know if they rebuilt it or moved, but I went there. That was amazing. The history there again. It's that historical thing. It's old grounds. Yeah. I like modern grounds. Tottenham's looks amazing, but I've not been yet. But you look at it and go, wow. Um, but I like the old grounds because I'm old. <laughs> I like this is why I quite like going watching the local non-league stuff because obviously the it's a bit more basic in its setup and it just works for me. It just reminds me of being younger, I suppose. Do you like the ones where you're packed in? Yeah, quite tight seats. As long as I've got enough leg room. Yeah, <laughs> I went to Old Trafford to the grand final, the rugby league grand final last year with a couple of friends of mine, and there's me and this other guy, Jay. He's like six foot. Four, I think. There's me at six foot two, and then there's my friend Colin who's just under six foot. And we made him sit in the middle of us because otherwise, me and Jay didn't have enough leg room. And it was yeah. in the, what is the away end at Old Trafford, so no wonder they stand up throughout the entire game because you couldn't sit down for long because you just, you know, I was like my knees around my elbows. That was ridiculous how they'd done mm. that. But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I just like going to. I do like going to any football ground. I liked Villa Park, the old Villa Park before they modernised it again. That was a nice ground to go to. It was a great atmosphere there. Um, I've not been since the redevelopment. I've not been to away games for a fair few years, so I can't really comment on stadium now. But the ones I used to visit, I always liked going to Goodison and um, at the. the Villa, they were always nice guys yeah. to go to because they had the proper atmosphere. And the whole end was just something to behold. It was a massive thing at uh, Villa Park. There's a lot of British grounds, though, that I suppose we'd have been to more than the ones that are abroad, that you, you maybe won't, wouldn't expect to have a feel about them or or be... You, you wouldn't expect to like them, which you did. Like, I've been to Hull, KC, hmm. now the KCOM, and the view from the top of there is really good. We sat high up. Yeah. And it is like the bird's eye view. It's not not going to be New Camp esque, but it's yeah. not going to be as high. But even that, it's just you could see everything. Yeah, yeah. I sat in Tier Three at Old Trafford once, and that was quite impressive to see. You could see everything. Just see because my seats are very good because they're on the halfway line and they're quite low down, so I get a really good view. And it's all by pure luck when they rebuilt the Sir Alex Ferguson stand. That's where they put us. Um, it's about ten seats away from where I originally was, but they're actually even better now. So, um, you know, I'm very, very lucky in that respect. But, I mean, they say about the lack of atmosphere at football grounds now, and you sort of go, you know, I'm sat on the halfway line, so I can hear the away fans and I can hear the home fans. So when they say, no, it's dead quiet, I'm like going, what? But when I've sat behind goals at grounds, you sort of go, yeah, well, we can't, you know, I've sat at Anfield and not been able to hear the cop. I was there for a Brazil game. You know, just because of the acoustics, it's like, you know, good. and Old Trafford's are just terrible for it. I mean, it is quiet at times. There's no getting away from it, but 
I think all football grounds are, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I like the old grounds, but they need modernising. You've got to move on. <laughs> <laughs> but they do need to sort the acoustics out at various grounds, not just Old Trafford. There's more goes into it than you'd think as well. I didn't realise until I heard, I think I heard an interview with the Liverpool announcer. Mm. He was talking about how the acoustics, they've, some sort of science in there. I could be wrong. I was I heard this a while ago. Science behind it. They build it in a certain way so that the sound bounces. And that's why the, yeah. the atmosphere is so famous. Materials as well, don't you? So it bounces rather than gets absorbed. Mm. And it's like the opposite of stealth, isn't it? Real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is your third question? Oh, third question. Um, worst play you've ever seen in any sport. Oh, it's a harsh one. Um, Someone, someone's got to take it. They're all professional footballers or professional athletes at the end of the day. Someone's got to take it. Uh, that is a hard one. Do you want to go first? I'll have a think. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, so worst professional footballer. And he wasn't a bad player. It was the thing of being at United makes you you either That's, yeah. thrive or you go under. And it's the sort of thing Harry Maguire, unfortunately, is facing at the moment is that he's really got to take it by the scruff of the neck and accept mm. and go with it because otherwise it's just going to spit him up and chew up and spit him out. And that was Massimo Taibi, the goalkeeper that came in. Now, he had a really good career in Italy before and after. He was a very, very, very good goalkeeper. But in his first game, he made a mistake and it went downhill from there. And he was so... He wasn't... I don't think he's necessarily the worst player I've ever seen, but it was the worst performances I've ever seen in a United shirt was consistently his. I think he yeah. played about four or five games and he was truly awful because he made a mistake in his first game. He played against Liverpool and I think he conceded a clangor against Liverpool. But in that game, apart from that mistake, he was man of the match. He was unbelievable. But because of conceding the goal and against who it was against, yeah, he was in trouble from day one. Then he had those couple against Southampton that were awful. They went straight through his arms. We've all had it up as it was, but you're a top pro, mate. You shouldn't be doing that. Um, either that or a guy called William Prunier that was a, that was recommended by Eric Cantona and played about two or three games over a Christmas period in the early nineties, mid nineties. And his first game, he wasn't he was equally good and bad again, and then he was awful the next couple of games. So you know, I think my answers are going to be similar. They're going to be players who've played at Man United and may have gone on to do well elsewhere. But like you say, because of the pressure and the size of the club, just go under. Oh, who do I go for? I don't want to go. For, there's one who. There's one name that's in my head that's just come to value. Saying that it wasn't the first one that came to me, but I don't want to say him because he was so young at the time. But he did have a shocker, and we never saw him again. It's going to be quite niche, but I'm not sure what he's got gone on to do since then. Goalkeepers. It's also it's easy to say a goalkeeper, and we've seen a few that have been questionable. Over the years, um, oh, who do I go for? Hmm, I'm torn between two. I might have to go for the one he was young at the time, but he's not anymore. Um, you may remember. You remember the game against? Was it MK Dons in the League Cup? Oh yeah, Scott Wotton at centre back had an absolute yeah, shocker. I don't know where he is now. But he had a shocker. Was it Leeds signed him? I think he may have done. I think he went to Leeds. But I've not heard of him since. That. It was between him and as he's doing. Apparently, he's doing quite well now over in Spain. Bebe, Bebe. I was there, there for one of his first games. He blazed what, what the rosette. <laughs> it's on, one of I'm those. Just googling Scott Wotton. Yeah, where is he now? He may have gone on to have a great career, football. but I, the one game I saw him for for Man United, he was oh, uh, quite bad. Oh, right, he's still playing. He's uh, oh, he's from Birkenhead. There you go. So he started off at United, went on loan to Tranmere, Peterborough, Forest, and Peterborough again. He moved to Leeds in 2013, played 66 times. He then went on loan to Rotherham, MK Dons, Plymouth Argyle, on loan at Wigan. <clears throat> Excuse me. He spent last season at Morecambe. He's now at Wellington Phoenix. So he's playing in New Zealand. He's had, he's had a good career. Which complete, competes in the Australia A League. So he's playing top-class football in Australia. He's, had a, he's a good pro. He's a good pro. He's had a career, hasn't he? He's 30, so he's still got a couple of years left in him as a centre-half. It must, it must have been 10 years ago, that game against... Uh, oh, yeah. It was, it was at United from 2010 to 2013, so it'll be yeah. probably 2013 before he disappeared off. 
it probably dented his confidence massively being involved in that game. I'm sure it did. Oh, it was awful, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's between him and Bebe, unfortunately. Yeah, they're all they're all better players than we are, uh, but on the, on the scale of things, didn't <laughs> oh, go yeah. that well. They've all done better than I managed, so can't argue too much with any of them. And talking about them being better than better players than we are, my third question is: What's a sporting fact about yourself that people would find hard to believe? That I play sport. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it just assumes I'm a sumo wrestler. Um, no, um, uh, at 46, I became an international footballer and won a medal. There we go. Because I still don't believe that myself. <laughs> but at 46, I became an international footballer. So I always say, never give up on your dreams. Because I thought me being an international footballer sort of died at about nine, even though I'd love to have done it. And I believe you're going to do it again. And hopefully I'm going to do it again. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully another medal. Yep, yeah, I need to get better than a bronze. I've only, <laughs> well, like in the national football tournaments and stuff, I've won gold in that. I think I was in the team that won it the first two or three years. Definitely the first two years of the national transplant tournament, I won it. Um, Liverpool transplant, when they won their first tournament, I wasn't playing, so I missed that. Um, oh, hang on, my dog's coming to say hello. We're not on camera, mate. <laughs> so I've got two mainly bronzes so far, which I'm over the moon with. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, um, I'm wanting a silver or a gold next. Hopefully, you can get I'll that. keep going until I've got all three. Then I can retire, and my body can go yay. But yeah, 46 became an international football. That's got to be my people go. All oh, right, really? No, yeah. But then they see me play football, and they then go, really? <laughs> yeah. I get the medal. I'm proving it. <laughs> I'm not sure mine's on the same level as that. I did know that about you because we'd, we'd spoken about it before. Um, I, I've scored past Neil Sullivan, a former Premier League goalkeeper. Oh, excellent. Uh, I was 10 at the time, 10, 11 at the time. Uh, it's a, this is a strange story. It was... So my club, my childhood club, uh, local team, we had been... I think we tried. I think the people at the top wanted to try and improve relationships with local professional teams. So Doncaster Rovers being one of our local clubs, there was a goalkeeper, a specialist goalkeeper training day going mm. on. Um, myself and one of my friends from school, who was also in the team, were the ones who were going to go along to this goalkeeper training, despite neither of us being a goalkeeper or ever playing in goal. Yeah, uh, we we just go along to to be there for the club in our kit and uh, and just be involved. Now, Neil Sullivan was at Doncaster at the time and people may know him for being the goalkeeper that David Beckham scored past from the halfway line when he was Wimbledon. Please tell me you're walking from the halfway line. <laughs> no, there was one one kid who mentioned that five or six times throughout the couple of hours we were there in questions. How, what, a question and answer at the end, he said, um, "What do you have you got any advice for if somebody decides to shoot from the halfway line and you're off your line, i.e. David Beckham? <laughs> Which you just have to keep answering. Uh, but yeah, we got towards the we done the goalkeeper training. I'm not sure how well that went. I think it was probably better than expected, given the fact I'd never played in goal. But in these, I think there were there were the width of full size goals, but they were the, probably about a meter or a meter and a half tall, mm. or a meter tall. Uh, Neil Sullivan went in goal, and he must have been nearly forty at the time. Uh, it was towards the end of his career, and we all all these ten, eleven year old kids lined up. And he was said, "You can all have, at the end. You can all have a shot. I'll try and save as many as I can to show you uh, how to get down low to one side. So try and hit it across the goal." Everybody else who was there was a goalkeeper. I was playing in midfield at the time mm. and managed to slot one in the bottom corner pass, which I don't think he expected because he looked like I mean, I was, again, I was ten or eleven, but he looked like he was going down quite fast. Right. Uh, so that is my my fact. I scored a goal past a former Premier League goalkeeper. So I have a couple of cricket team. Claims to fame, although one of them I was four at the time, so I don't think it really counts. Let's fire away, go for it anyway. There's a guy called Sonny Ramadin who played for Lancashire and the West Indies back in the 50s and 60s, who sadly passed away at the beginning of the year. And he was he used to play at um, in Delft, the village I grew up in in Sodworth. And I once bowled him out when I was four. Oh. I have a feeling he let me. <laughs> But I'm taking it. <laughs> I bowled out a West Indian cricketer. And the other one, I actually bowled out an England cricketer in a charity match and genuinely bowled him out. 
And this was Neil Fairbrother of Lancashire in England of the 80s, early 90s. A charity match I ended up playing in for some reason. I don't even know why I ended up playing in it. I think they were short and I was there. And I bowled him out, third ball. So there you go. So anybody in the England Transplant Cricket Team will not believe that one <laughs> because they've seen me bowl. So, so there you go. That's my other one. Yeah, I don't know how hard Neil Sullivan would have been trying. He was getting down, but we, we were 10 years old. So probably not. He was probably going, wasn't going to full stretch, but it hit the net. Like I say, you claim it anyway. Yeah, why not? Over to you again. Okay, right. So this one can't be any of your main sports, this answer. Right. What is your guilty pleasure sport? What sport do you really enjoy that you think perhaps you shouldn't? (laughs) That was going to be one of my questions. I didn't go for it in the end. Was it? Yeah. Um, I have got an answer for this. It's something I've not watched for a while since I was a kid. But if it comes up on like YouTube recommended or facebook i probably would watch like these like top 10 videos or highlight videos mm-hmm. i think it's wrestling okay Quite I, think, I think i could watch wrestling if it uh yeah so i think obviously the the acting is not great spoiler alert um, <laughs> what do you mean they're acting <laughs> but yeah i think it's something you can watch just i think yeah it it just, just got time just goes by yeah wrestling, yeah I think. nostalgia yeah, some of the like eighties, nineties stuff's quite good. Um, yeah, like, I caught one of the programs not so long ago, and there's like they're all still there. They must be all in the sixties. Yeah. I was like, are you trying to tell me this isn't a setup? Sixty <laughs> odd year old blokes wrestling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but all that I used to watch when I was a kid are still yeah. there. On the yeah, here you go, Undertaker, Triple H. They're still going. Undertaker was an absolute legend. I was used to like, even as an adult, I'd like watching the Undertaker. It was very funny. I always liked him. Um, for me. It's what the sport I refer to as horse dancing. Ah, yeah. Dressage. Yeah. So I only ever watch it at the Olympics, because that's the only time it's ever on the television. But horse dancing absolutely fascinates me. They've got these horses literally dancing to music. I find it amazing. They sat there, they're perfectly still, the horse does a little jig, and they get scored on that. And I think, if that's a sport, anything can be a sport. (laughs) But I absolutely love watching it. Things like synchronised swimming I can't be doing with, or rhythm gymnastics, that one with the ball and the rope and all that. What's that all about? I don't get that. Proper gymnastics I get. Not a fan particularly, but I understand it. But rhythm gymnastics, no. Horse dancing, yes. It is the future of sport. you got to watch a bit of horse dancing. Horse dancing, interesting. I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have... That wouldn't have been a... I don't know what I would have thought you would have said, but <laughs> that wouldn't have come into my head. <laughs> No, but <laughs> it's going to get good to mine, but it's very much my guilty pleasure sport. It's a sport I know I shouldn't be enjoying, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> but I only ever watch it once every four years at the Olympics, yeah. so you know it's a bit like I watch ice hockey. I only ever tend to see that at the Olympics, but I absolutely love it. And that's not guilty pleasure or anything, but because that's a proper sport because <laughs> <laughs> they try to kill each other. Um, bobsleigh, bobsleigh is a sport I'd love to have a go at. I want to do a bobsleigh run. I find that brilliant that looks amazing none of these ones where you're on like a um, a sledge or anything a proper bobsleigh when you're on a baking tray that sort of thing no i don't want that one no forget that oh but the uh the, like torpedo bullet shaped things yeah the proper bobsleigh yeah. where there's like two or four man and you sort of run along hope you don't slip jump in and hope you get in it and we'll see you at the bottom and you're in the hands of gravity. You're basically in the hands of gravity and the bloke at the front driving it. Mm. <laughs> it's go-karting on ice, isn't it? Let's face it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's a, spot, that's a spot I would love to have a go at. I think I was thinking of Skeleton with the, the one where it looks no, like you're down the bacon tray. That's just stupid. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> at least if you're crashing mental. a bobsleigh, apart from your head falling off, you've no, nothing to worry about. <laughs> and you've got a crash helmet. <laughs> Here's an interesting one for you. And when we go on to the video podcast that people will see on the England Transplant Football website, transplantfootball.com. I'm into my football shirts and people will see behind me on the wall. But what's the most obscure name you've seen or had on the back of a football shirt? Obscure name? Shall I go first? Well, a custom one. No, actual players' names, but they wouldn't expect to see on the back of a shirt, especially like a kid's shirt. Oh, I see. Why have you got that? Yeah. Yeah. Like Massimo Taibi. I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've had some strange ones over the years. Ooh. I think my one is not because it's an obscure name. It's quite a big name, 
But the fact that a six-year-old asked, or someone, the fact that this was what a child asked for, that child yeah. being me, for his six for his sixth birthday, Go on. it was an England shirt, yeah. two thousand and four England shirt, and on the back I had G Neville two. Nice. Um, Jamie Carragher said no one wants to grow up to be a Gary Neville Uh, obviously and the current crop of England talent may well have wanted to grow up to be Gary Neville given the amount of right backs we've currently got yeah we're all right for right backs at the moment Hmm. just shame none of them are two foot then they could play at left back (laughs) (laughs) got to be Gary Neville and also uh, Gabriel Heinze See, he was just a nutter. I quite liked him. He wasn't a great player, but he was that, he was that typical Argentinian defender. He was absolutely like Marcus Rojo, absolutely off his trolley. Yeah. Completely insane on the football. But you either knew he was either going to put in the perfect tackle or get sent off. Yeah. Eric yeah. Bailly is another. But I don't think he's either a red card or an injury waiting <laughs> to happen every time he goes on the pitch. Can defend, but oh, wow. Hmm. Um, I think the I weirdest know, one I've really. seen. I think Phil Neville was an odd one I saw. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Phil, if you're listening. Um, you know, whether he's a family member, I don't know. Recently, Fred, but then Fred's playing quite well at the moment. But, I would buy yeah. a Fred shirt. I would buy. Well, I, I would. I would. You would. Yeah, I would. I considered yeah, it a couple of years ago. I don't have any. The only, I've got two Champions League shirts. One's got Vidic on and one's got Skulls on, but that's because it was the Champions League final shirts. And my daughter bought me one for my 40th, which said Dad on the back and 40. Um, but I've never been really into that, per se. I prefer mm. the retro shirts, so they just have a number on. Yeah. So I've got 1957 FA Cup final number six, which is Duncan Edwards, and the 1958 FA Cup final number nine, which was Bobby Charlton. So they're the only two, and they're the ones I wear for the match. Yeah. Um, no names on them, just the number, proper sewn on numbers and everything done properly. Um, but I think Phil Neville's probably one. Um, Kieran Richardson. Kieran Richardson, I'll go with. That's a good one. That is Actually, a good one. You know, I mean, he did, he had a decent career in the end, but I mean, poor lad was absolutely battered at United, wasn't he? <laughs> He was, wasn't he? I mean, I, I sort of sometimes think, you know, I mean, I, I don't agree with the abuse players get full stop. And I definitely don't agree with this, where well, you're being paid for this part of your job. No, it's not. Abuse is not part of anybody's no. job, basically. <laughs> but, you know, the poor lad had to leave because it's a bit like Jesse Lingard before he had that good season <laughs> when he won us the FA Cup. Mm. In the run-up to that, he was absolutely knocked. And he was all right for a couple of years and he went downhill again. So, you know, and again, you know, I mean, I think he's... The whole thing with Mason Greenwood stopped him leaving in January, but the whole yeah. way he's being treated's not been great, but he's not been playing well. But yeah, Kieran Richardson, I think, has to be the one where I sort of go, okay, each to their own. Yeah, mine was uh, spotted it at Wembley at one of the community shields. Um, a lesser, maybe a lesser known name if you're not a, a follower of Man United. Uh, this was on a, a kid on this on his shirt, Gabriel Obertan. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad I didn't see that one. <laughs> if you don't know who he is, Google him. I'm sure he didn't play that many times. He must be in the top five worst players at United. Oh, they, they bought him because he was quick. <laughs> and he was French. And he's like, they bought him and David Bellion, didn't they? Do you remember David Bellion? Yeah, just. just. And they, they, they seemed to buy them because he tried to create the next Thierry Henry. So they bought young French, quick attacking players with... It was just not good enough. And you sort of even looked at Obertan in particular, you looked at him and goes, he ain't even got the potential. <laughs> <laughs> you know, David Bell, the first time I saw him play, I thought, well, he's got the potential, but he's so far off it. But you could see there was like, you could see the thinking behind that one. But no coaching was going to get <laughs> Obertan and Bellion to be the next Terry Henry, was it? Good grief. Bless. But yeah, Kim Richardson for me must be the name that I sort of went, Okay, and that's one of those, you get ch- you charged by the letter as well, aren't you? <laughs> you have to obscure, something with a short name. Jan Venegor of Hesselink. Yes, my favourite one on a shirt. Um, not that I've particularly seen one, but a shirt I wanted to have was you know the Italian Immobile. Yeah, because he says Immobile. Yeah, and I think I should have that shirt. <laughs> 
And I always said, I want that. Sh- I want a shirt with immobile on the back. <laughs> that's me. But uh, that's my favourite name in football, immobile. And I know you don't say it like that in Italian, but striking <laughs> on immobile. There you go. And we, we're getting towards the end of this episode now. What is your fifth and final question? Oh, uh, was that not it? <laughs> <laughs> right. A bit off, not a bit off topic. What song reminds you of sport or football? Oh, there's an obvious one. Which I'll give you, and then I'll try and think of another one that's maybe not so obvious. One that's so personal to you. So it's not one everybody goes, oh yeah. Hmm. This is what I used to ask on the sports show when I did it on the radio. The obvious one is We Are the Champions. Yeah. Because that's played all the time. Oh, what could it be? Um, What's yours, out of interest? Mine is, and we're going back to, I think, 1984 now. And it was a song that was played, when it was in the charts especially, it was played pretty much before every home game at Huddersfield when they were warming up. And it's Uptown Girl by Billy Joel. Oh. And that always reminds me of football. It reminds me of being at Leeds Road, you know, under the floodlights on a Saturday afternoon in winter with me Bovril, bless, um, watching Huddersfield back in the early 80s. And um, that used to get played a lot, and it was usually... This might be just my brain because it's a long, long time ago associating this, but it usually was when the teams were warming up, doing a pre-match mm. warm-up. Yeah. So it always reminds me of warming up and football and, you know, the smells and the sights yeah. and the sounds of football as a kid. So that's mine. I've got, I think I've got one, maybe two. The one, obviously, because a football song would be, oh, what's the name of it? Uh, the 2010 World Cup song. Uh, oh, come the to Waka Waka was one of them, but there was another one. Waving flag, waving flag, South Africa World Cup song. Yeah, I said that was South Africa, wasn't it? Twenty seven. Uh, but non football themed song. And I don't know why this is the one that's coming to my head. Like you said, with songs that are played while the teams are warming up, it's just one warm up song that stuck with me because I, I don't know. I'm not sure why. Maybe it was the the game Champion by Chipmunk. Okay, I'm gonna have to go and look that up. Yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I believe that was at Gary Neville's testimonial that I heard that, right. and that's just stuck with me. Well, that was the one when uh, what's his face came. Ian Brown came out singing, didn't he? Before the teams, <laughs> like Ian, I'm an absolute Stone Roses are my favourite band, but you cannot sing live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's me in trouble with a lot of people. <laughs> absolutely, Stone Roses—they are my favourite band, but live, he's not great. They're a great band to watch live but he's not a great singer if they do the new the current walkout song what united yeah this is the one is that am i thinking I of the wrong band? to be honest i don't really listen but they used to play they play that silly premier league theme thing that they copied off the champions league which is awful they used to, they used to come out to this is the one but they still do all oh, right yeah, yeah. yeah. there's so much tension i'm paying and i'm there i'm there again this afternoon i'm there and i don't even notice now that's what level it's got to be in a United fan. You've paid for it. Bless. I'll tell you another thing on the song. My hype song, if I can call it a hype song, um, through, not football, through association, yeah. through my family background of entertainment, um, and one I listen to before before I record a podcast or before a show, because when I used to do some sound for my dad when he was doing yeah. shows, was Mr. Blue Sky by ELO. Oh, yeah. That's it gets me pumped up. Yeah, it's probably a strange choice. If like if you're going around like the cricket changing room that I'm in, that I'll be in this summer, and everyone wants to pick a song to play before a game, mm. that'd be the one that was that stuck out as the more obscure than the others. Yeah, but yeah, I that's think that sort of type of song that gets you motivated and going. Mine's Oblivion by Terrorvision. I've not that's heard that. That's a really upbeat tune. Have to look that's at that. Great. I'll have to have a look at that one. Look it up. Because everybody goes really because. Uh, one of the presenters on the radio station said, I want your feel-good songs. And I said, television, oblivion. And she went, you are? I said, listen to it. And she listened to it. She went, yeah. <laughs> I get where you're coming from with that. It's called oblivion, so it doesn't sound very upbeat, but it's a very upbeat tune. Are we going to be able to produce a Natter playlist at some point with all these songs I, on? Mate, I can do you a playlist for anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> My new show, if I can plug it, is called Steve's Chippy Tea. And, I had a fr- and it's the Friday Drive Time Show on Radio Northwich. And it's called Chippy Tea because it's Friday, isn't it? You know, what do you have on a Friday? Yeah. Chippy Tea. Um, so I have to go with playlists every week. And yesterday's was just random and immense at the same time. I don't know if anybody else likes it, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> we had to start with the Lancashire Hot Pots Chippy Tea. Have you not heard it? I have heard it, yeah. Yeah. Everybody loves Lancashire Hot Pots. So I had to start with that. 
we had all the classics, Friday I'm in love, but I just went quite obscure and other stuff. <laughs> Kept it quite sort of, ma- if you can be obscure mainstream, because, you know, yeah. you've got to keep your audience. It's not some midnight till 2am post-punk show or anything. <laughs> um, it is a drive-time mid-afternoon show. But, uh, yeah, I, a playlist, I'm bang up for doing playlists for football and sports. and We've had a few there for a, the Nata podcast playlist. Yeah. Songs that are yeah, mentioned. I the uh, and more bit that we introduced when mm. I said stuff we haven't come up with yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> because we just have. Inspiring music choices. Inspiring music choices. What's getting you pumped? Yeah, we, we'll, we'll set a poll up. There's a text topic or live yeah. topic when we when we, do, when we do do live ones, which will be coming. Um, I'm sure some of these questions that we've gone through today, and there's one more left. Um, I'm sure we'll ask those on the social media. So make sure you're following those: Twitter at Nata Podcast, Facebook at Nata Podcast, and Instagram at Nata Podcast UK. They will all be linked in the show notes of this podcast, and we will be asking you those sort of questions as the listener base hopefully grows. And nicely brings it into our final question, which I think can bring us down a diff- bit of a different road towards the end. What trait from a player, past or present, would you like to take into everyday life? Ooh. Um, a bit philosophical, if you, want, if you want it to be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go on. You could go first on that one. So, trait, would I? This might, what I say here may change your answer. Uh, the player who I'm going to choose. We've mentioned on this pod on this podcast already, and it might surprise a few people. Fred, Fred is my player, and I think first of all, I I rate I rate him as a player. I think every team or a lot of teams need that sort of player, and I also rate him as a person mainly because of his positivity. He seems so happy no matter what's going on. He seems like a positive person, and that's something I'd like to take into into life and be positive, which I try to be anyway. Uh, and I, the fact that he said a few months ago that. If this team was an orchestra, I'd be the one who carries the piano for the artists to play. Just nice. sums up the role in the team. And now that he's um, he's a bit further forward now, isn't he? He, he? he seems better in the opposition half with some nice he's, flicks. He's actually a classic box-to-box midfielder. He's not a defensive midfielder. If you look at him play for Brazil, he plays a lot further up the pitch. Mm. And looks like Ralphie's sort of letting him do that a bit more. Yeah. Which is then he's a better player for it. I mean, he's somebody who quite happily... He's very much the team player, isn't he? Mm. You tell me I've got to run around chasing one player for 90 minutes. I will do. Yeah. And I think, for me then, I would have to say Park. Yeah. Because he gave him a job and he stuck to it, you know. It's like, I think mean, it was it Perlo he marked yeah. out the game and he was absolutely just, he said, he said something like, I was expecting to wake up in the morning and find him start staring at me. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. I can't remember what it was, but, you know, it's that being able to stick to a task because mm. my mind wanders far too easily. Even in football matches, I suddenly switch off and go, oh, hang on, I'm supposed to be back there now. Uh, anybody watching me do the volleyball is just going, Steve, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I've lost it now. So, uh, uh, at the football last weekend, I was praised about how something my game had improved because I'd adapted my game. Because, as quote to quote, I'm not the fittest, which I know. But I've adapted my game to sit in. And But after that bit of praise, I went completely downhill for about an hour. <laughs> I just, I couldn't get my head around the drills or anything. I was like, what's going on here now? But that sort of determination, that focus to be able to... yeah see it through i think but i like i love fred because he's such a positive happy person yeah the positivity wasn't actually my uh the only thing i would take from fred it would be his optimism particularly when he stood over a free kick um yeah. he, he seems like to take it uh, zero, but he's there isn't he go on i'll have this there you, you see ronaldo cristiano ronaldo bruno fernandez stood over the free kick and less so this season now alex tellers has played a bit more but Fred will stand there as the left-footed option. And he's like a kid in a sweet shop. The yeah. kid like, I'm going to take a free kick. And he must have some great photos because he stood still over the free kick. I think that's what it is. Because he's not kidding the opposition that he's going to take it, is he? Let's face it. They're all going, what's Fred doing still there? He's not going to be allowed to take it, is he? Yeah. I, mean, I do think one week he's going to take one. He's going to go top bins. And I wouldn't mind seeing him on the court. He was playing the long game. <laughs> he's done it for two seasons. They finally let him take one. He scores. Happy days. <laughs> there we go why not get in touch on social media like we've we mentioned before they'll be in the show notes let us know who the player from your club is that is the most optimistic when stood over a free kick because everyone's got one 
Jordan Henderson, he's always stood over a free kick, but I've not seen him take one. There's, uh, there must be one at every club. Who is yours? Absolutely. Why not get in touch and let us know? If you've enjoyed what you've heard today and you'd like to see more from us in the future, please share the podcast with your friends, your family, whoever it may be. Share it on social media. We're on there now and we'll be back hopefully every other week with a new episode and you can listen on your podcast provider of choice. We're on everything at the moment. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, Deezer, SoundCloud, we're everywhere. So wherever you listen to podcasts, we'll be there. You can go and listen to us. As we've said before, the social media is linked in the show notes. And please go and check out the website, transplantfootball.com, to find out more about this podcast and also the England Transplant Football Club, the England Transplant Football Association. And if you've had a transplant, how you may be able to get involved and go on trial at St. George's Park in April, which will be a very special day for everybody who's going. We'll be back in two weeks with the England Walking Football Association, who will be here for a chat with us about the great work that they're doing. But until then, thank you very much for listening. I've been Lewis Daniels, he's been Stephen Harrison, and you've been listening to the Natter Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.